0: to recognize who you are and how you changed us as a result of your marvelous word that came in and began to teach us about truth and hope and meaning, about purpose and direction, about lifestyle, about reasons. Thank you for all you've done, for all you are. And now we offer to you a bit of something, some finances that you have provided us with uh, to honor you. And we also bring you our prayers our requests we have because we need you to continue to be involved in changing our lives and the lives of those around us. So we ask that what happened, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're in the Gospel of John, so I want you to take your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John. Okay, so you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those first three were called synoptic Gospels. And all those were written prior to the Gospel of John, which was written with a focus upon Gentiles and helped them understand who Jesus was, both as a man and as God himself. So that's the intention of John, and we're in John chapter 2, so we're going to read that together, John chapter 2, and I'll lead us in that uh, particular text. Now, this text is divided into two areas. The first section is John speaking in relationship to the wedding, and this is a time of wonder. It's the first miracle that Jesus accomplishes, the first sign in recognition of who he is, of his glory glory. That he is God himself and has power over all creation. Then we move to the second section, which deals with a warning. And the warning in this area is to the temple priests and those who are involved in giving guidance and direction to people concerning who God is and what he has done. So first we have a wonder. Then we have a warning. Let's read about the wonder, first of all. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there. She appeared to be a relative in this case. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. And Jesus said, Woman, why are you involving me in this? It's not my time. And his mother turned to the servants and said, do whatever he tells you. (laughs) You're kind of getting that. And nearby stood six stone water pots, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. And each held from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus turns to the servants and he says, fill up the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And then he said, now draw some of it out. Take that which you've drawn out to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn drawn the water knew. So he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheap stuff. After the guests have already had too much wine, they can't tell the difference anymore. But you saved the best till now. Or really what he's seen is, why did you save the best till now? What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there for a few days. Wow, this, is a, this is a marvelous, marvelous story, starting off with an understanding of who Jesus is. Now, you need to grasp the simple fact that his mother understood who he was. And she also understood that this was time, that Jesus was getting ready to enter his ministry. They had a discussion, obviously, had talked about this, had interacted about it. Jesus, now at 30 years of age, is ready to move out, finally. Okay. It kind of sounds familiar. She said, yeah, 30 years old, time to move out. There's a lot of different pictures you can take from this. Of course, that's not the intention there. But you're beginning to get the idea that Jesus and his mother have now been together all this time. And she has got to be wondering to a certain extent, when will he reveal himself? When is he going to step up and step out and show everybody who he really is? Because I know who he is. I recognize who he is. And this is the time that Jesus has explained to her that he's about to step out and begin his ministry. So today, John deals with the issue of what we would call signs or uh, representations in which Jesus begins to show who he is by miraculous power that's beyond that of any human being. And this is the first of the signs is what he tells us. Now, he's going to establish his credentials and his authority Not only to be recognized as God and as savior, but also so that he might die for the sins of all mankind. So John walks us through the beginning of this ministry of Jerusalem and the end of his ministry, which is amazingly similar. I want you to remember that. If we go back to the story that we moved through, do you remember what happened with Jesus at, at the end of his ministry the last few days? It says he's out at the Mount of Olives and then begins to come into Jerusalem. And this time he rides in on the foal of a donkey. And all the people cry out, what? Hosanna. Hosanna. And they lay out things. They're declaring him as the son of God, as the son of David, as the Messiah. So this time, when he comes in the next time, three years later, same situation. Okay? He comes in and he declares, allows the people to declare who he is. And then when he has his final Passover, he says, this is the last time the true Passover will ever be shared. And at that point in time, then, he changes the Passover lamb into himself. And he declares that now we have the new Passover, which is why John refers to this as the Passover of the Jews. You're going to see that in a minute. He calls it the Passover of the Jews. So the primary verse here really is done at the very end of this section, which I think it should have been the end of this chapter. It's the end of of John's intention. And it reads like this. After he was raised from the dead... His disciples recalled what he had said, and then they again believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. See, so John is referring back, saying, "Now we remembered back in this special day when he declared to us who he was and what he was about to do. We remembered all this." And we're going to walk through this together. So the first sign is a wonder sign. The second sign is a warning sign. There's wonder at the wedding. Jesus and his disciples had been invited. His mother was already there. She was one of the relatives involved in the wedding itself. Now, Jesus affirms the wedding covenant with his presence. And he stays to celebrate with the people. Then he responds to the special present, which he also uses to strengthen his disciples Concerning their belief and understanding of who he was. So we have the presence, first of all. Here's Jesus' presence. He's a relative of his mother. She's part of the wedding. She's very involved, involved enough to know what's going on, what's happening, and what's not happening. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of his ministry. But he's intending to wait for a few more days. Seem to wait for a few more days. So he's not going to make a public declaration at this point in time. Jesus starts, he's affirming the wedding, he's rejoiced with all the people. It's probably been a couple days. You have to understand that many Jewish weddings would last up to a week. It wasn't a couple hour thing. It was a week long, it would have blessings, it would have the family involved. You know, there was no honeymoon to speak of. That entire time is that they would get up and be dressed in brand new clothes and kind of go down the street and say hi to everybody and interact with one another. This would go on every day. So this is continuing on. And the intention was to have enough Wine for all the people to enjoy each day during their meals to sip on during the time to enjoy their time together. You're supposed to have plenty of wine for everybody. Couple days have gone on; they finally find themselves running out of wine. Now I thought, I wonder if they asked Jesus to pray a blessing at the wedding. That'd be kind of cool. It doesn't say doesn't say they did, but it doesn't say they didn't either. So Jesus is recognized. In, in a special way, but he's still not recognized as who he really is. I always tell people, it's a good idea to invite God to your wedding, though. Hey, you know? So they invited him. He shows up. He's involved with them. The wedding gone on for a while. They're doing this whole thing, and then a problem comes up, and Mom asks for help. The problem is simple. They're what? They're out of wine. We're out of wine. Now, She gets involved here. You see see the focus. She's gotten involved in the process. She turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, they ran out of wine. And then there's silence. Any of you who know your moms, I know exactly what my mom means when she says that. Lee, they ran out of wine. And I'm thinking, great, we get to go home. (laughs) And she's thinking, take care of the problem. Jesus says, why are you getting me involved in this? It's not the right time. Mom, we talked about this. It's going to happen. I'm going to go down to the temple. We're going to begin the process. This is not the right time. She turns him and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. Mom! And Jesus responds, as most sons who love their moms do, he just goes, okay, pulls out his checkbook and orders, you know, six or seven tubs of wine, right? Obviously not. That's what we do. We take care of the problem, the embarrassment, the struggle. We say, Okay, I better get in the middle of it. I need to take care of this. I'll just take care of it. Nobody needs to know that I handle it. I'm going to handle it. I could see Gary Royden doing that, couldn't you? I could see him doing that. It was like, uh, you know, go down. Okay, let's get a couple of the cases Hurry, make quick calls, get things taken care of. Okay, we got to take care of. There it is. Done. Mom it's done. Okay. Okay, good. Good job. Jesus, in this case, though, has far greater abilities than any of us do. And he doesn't choose to send out for more wine. He said, turns, and I'm sure he thinks about it, and he talks to the Father, and the Father responds to him and says, It's okay, because Jesus tells us later, I don't do anything unless the Father okays it. So he talks to the Father. Father says, Go ahead, do it. So he speaks to the servants. They bring out the water. They pour it into these ceremonial water pots. Interest, interesting thing here. you know, The ceremonial water pots that are empty. Now, what these were used for is they would be filled with water so that the, the Jews could wash their hands before they did anything, because the Jewish structure was one where you had to continually wash your hands. It's almost like uh, saying a prayer before a meal, except it's constant. It's, it could be irritating. Okay? These guys are showing off their piety by constantly washing their hands, constantly. And that declaration is, is a declaration of God being in the midst of all these things. Interestingly enough, though, the ceremonial washing pots are empty. There's no water in them. I wonder if they all left. I don't know. It's odd that this is here. It doesn't say they were filled with water and he said now they become wine. He says, go get the water, fill them up, and then he changes them into wine. So that now these pots that before were supposed to be a declaration of God's presence within the wedding, a declaration of our obedience and our our yielding to his desires, his uh, guidance in our life, now become a declaration of God's power. As people drink of the wine and wonder, why on earth is the wine doing in the ceremonial water pots? I wonder how that happened. And this is really good wine. Interesting. How could that have happened? This, this thought process is going on, I guarantee you, and it will continue to be used by God at later times. like He always does these particular types of things. So the solution comes up as simple. It's a sign that he's going to have. He shows his creation ability, the ability to change water into wine. And that's really what's going on here. The miracle is that Jesus has the power over all creation. So he can change a grape into a watermelon. And what he's saying is, I created all things. So he creates wine and he uses water, in this case, To help things out. He could have just as easily walked up to the water pots and said, be wine and filled them up. He doesn't choose to do that. Don't know why, but he doesn't. Mm -hmm. All the time, Jesus is doing things that his father is directing him to do that seem a little bit unusual. But he knows exactly what he needs to do in this case. So Sometimes you put mud on people's eyes before they're able to see. And that mud comes off and they can see. Other people, he just says, you can see. And they, ah, I can see. There's a directive from the Father in relationship to something that's taking place here to bring about the most meaningful thing. So Romans 8:28 talks about the fact that God works all things together for good for those who love him. who are called according to his purpose. And that's the picture that's going on. God is working all things together. He always does what will accomplish the most good, not just what accomplishes good. So the water is turned into wine by Jesus. And the grace of the gospel is declared in the midst of this thing. What was the first miracle that Moses did? Do you remember? He changed the water into what? Blood. That's a declaration of the law. Changed the water into blood. But Jesus changes water into wine. Marvelous, marvelous picture of the beginning of his ministry that the father decides to declare In the midst of a wedding, where he is telling people they're no longer two, but they're one. Another miracle that takes place every time there is a wedding. Marvelous, marvelous miracle that happens at every wedding. That's why I asked you, what do you like best about weddings? As I shared here, what I like best about weddings is when the the bride comes down, because I'm usually over here at the wedding and they're walking down, so I'm right next to the groom. And the bride walks out and there's like this transformation. And no matter how plain she was before... She's like, oh, my goodness. And, the, and always the groom is dumbfounded. He's like, every time. And I understand. I look over there and go, man, you really married up. <laughs> Transformation that God does in weddings. It's truly incredible. And when the blessing comes down and you play the blessing upon these people and God takes these two and he makes them into one. Marvelous, incredible, supernatural, miraculous. That's the word for it. It was great that this morning we did Mervin Jean 64 years. Man. Marvelous. Impossible without God in the mist. Changing our water into wine. Constantly changing our water. Noise. See, when, when Jesus is in the center of our marriage, he's always changing water into wine. Every wedding I go to, that happens. Something miraculous is taking place if Jesus is at the center. Now, if he's not invited, people just get drunk. And they have a good time, they think. And they go home, and it's a failure, it's a flop. And a short time later, we hear about how the couple broke up. And I go, well, of course they broke up. Unless God is at the center of our wedding, our water continues to be water. And we get tired of drinking the water. Our conflict continues to gain more and more problems. It doesn't turn us into intimate people. Our struggles don't build strength in our life. They just make us weaker. Our interaction with others... It doesn't become a a community of support and believers. It becomes a community of people who put down your husband or your wife and share with you how you should never have married them anyway. You see, Jesus' desire, as it's shared here, is, is to turn our water into wine. Even as we share in this wonderful time of communion, that's what's going on. This miraculous thing where God is turning our water, our nothing, and into something incredible, marvelous, miraculous. And we have to ask him to do it. We say, Lord, please. Now, interesting enough, in this case, uh, it's his mom who recognized the need and says, Jesus, you need to take care of this. And is never even told that the wedding guests, that the people who are married, even knew what Jesus had done for them. They never even knew that Jesus had taken care of the problem. And I found that oftentimes in my life. I find out later about things that took place, and I go, man, that's incredible. I can't believe God did that. But he does it constantly and regularly when others are praying for us and interceding for us and saying, hey, these guys got a problem. Jesus, you need to turn the water into wine. They're in big trouble. You need to take a hold of their finances and show them how to use them correctly. And we pray and say, Lord, enter in, bring others around them. And we pray for them and ask God to intercede. And he answers as we continually do this with our children, with our friends, with our family. Marvelous, marvelous picture. Jesus, turn our water into wine. Why don't you say that with me, will you? Say, Jesus, turn our water into wine. Lord Jesus, we desperately need you in the midst of our marriages, in the midst of our families, changing that which is so nothing into something powerful, into something mind-boggling, into something miraculous. Lord, we need your supernatural power to be involved in our lives, or we will fail. Work in us as only you can. Thank you as you do. Now, I I say that in the midst of wedding structures today because I see so many weddings today that are caught up in the celebration and have missed out on the reason for it. We come together publicly asking God to pour out a miraculous blessing in our lives. And we bring it to the church because it's the place where God most obviously is going to be around. And we say, Lord, do something spectacular because in our day and age, we only have a 50-50 chance. Make me the other 50. Make me, make my marriage the one that can be different. Mary and I got married 37 years ago. And uh, our marriage was doomed from the beginning. We both came from broken families. We both had fathers who were alcoholics, you know, everybody in our family everybody all my sisters all my brother my brother her sisters her brother they all end up in multiple marriages and divorce every one of them except for Barry and I and the reason is because I am wonderful The reason is Mary is wonderful. You'd be more likely to buy that one. Uh, Marty Hooper called me the other day and he said, Lee, you know something? You really married up. I wasn't sure to take that as a compliment or not. I I said it was to Mary, but I wasn't sure what it was saying to me in relationship to that relationship. God continues to work in us and start from the beginning in our relationship, our marriage, we recognized that unless God was the center of our marriage, we had no chance. We had no chance. So we worked every way we could. And we said that prayer Lord, change our water into wine. Turn our conflict into intimacy. Turn our financial struggles into praise for your provision. Turn our difficulties with our children into an understanding of how to guide them towards you and our dependence on you. And that's what happened. He began to turn our water into wine. So Jesus is at the wedding and he meets the needs of those who invite him. So you're getting the picture here. What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed In him, signs pointing to life and to hope and to meaning. Okay? So that's the first part of our uh, reading today out of John. Now let's move over to the second half. So the first half is this wonder, this marvelous showing up of Jesus at a time where people didn't really expect it. Jesus himself didn't even expect it. But he shows up, he does this wonderful miracle, and it says after this he went down to Capernaum with his mom and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. And when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, he's emphasizing this purposefully, for the Jewish Passover. Remember, this is written in AD 90, far after all these things have taken place. Last gospel to be written, John is emphasizing certain things that now the church shares in the Passover. Oftentimes they'll call Jesus is the Paschal Lamb. And when they share in communion, they're seeing this is the wonderful declaration of the new Passover that's taking place in our lives. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling. I want you to circle that in your notes. Selling. They were selling cattle and sheep and doves, and they were sitting at tables exchanging money. So he got upset, and he sat down and began to make a whip out of cords. Can't you see Jesus? Walks in the temple, took everything over, he sits down, and he pulls out some cords, and he starts putting them together, making a whip. Disciples got to be looking at him going, What's going on? And each time as he begins to braid them together, you see him getting a little more angry. Putting them together, and there's some more and more emotion beginning to go on. Suddenly, Jesus stands up and he begins to drive them out of the temple courts. Even to those who sold the doves, he said, Get out of here! Stop turning my father's house into a place of profit, into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to them and they said, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And they looked at him and said, what? It took 46 years to rebuild this temple. And you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple that he was speaking of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Uh, Okay, so now we see this second thing. This is about the warnings of the temple where we expected the wonder to take place. We expected Jesus to show up at the temple and do some marvelous, marvelous, miraculous signs to declare to the Jews, I am the Messiah. This is his showing up. This is his coming out time. He shows up the temple He's going to begin his ministry. When it was almost time for the Passover, he shows up. And now he is not showing up as Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary. He's showing up as Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's the first Passover that Jesus joins in after he has come out. He knows that from this day forward, he only has three years to fulfill his ministry. Three years, and it's done. So he begins himself in the temple, preparing himself for what's going on, and he's so upset. He can't believe it. He walks in this temple that is absolutely magnificent. I don't think you understand how incredible this temple was. It had taken them 46 years to rebuild it to the place it was now. And it was absolutely incredible. Remember earlier, Jesus, he is caught up by Satan. It says that he was up on top of the temple courts. And he said, throw yourself down and the angels will raise you up. This is Satan tempting him. So you stand on the side, and where he's at is on the wall of the temple courts. You've got to understand, this wall is 600 feet high. I'll give you an example. Hoover Dam is 700 feet high. Without the water. You're getting this picture here. Jesus standing on top of the temple, 600 feet temple of God. Marvelous place. And Satan says, throw yourself down. The angels will declare who you are. Everyone will know your Messiah. Affirm it. Confirm it. Make it happen. And Jesus says, no, you don't tempt the Lord your God. This is the wrong thing to do. You don't understand all the scripture of Satan. So this is the next time that he's showing up to the temple. He hadn't been there since then. He shows up and walks into the Gentile courts, and it's just a huge place where people are selling everything in places of the Passover. Passover's coming up, so you have to buy these cattle. And it's got to be kosher cattle. It's got to be kosher. Sheep. And now it's become a place of profit. You have to buy my stuff. No one else's will do. And Jesus begins to get angrier and angrier and angrier as he looks. What's happening here? It's become a place and a time for profit-making and personal power development. The Passover is supposed to be a marvelous declaration of God's rescuing power. It's supposed to be this great time of family coming together. We are all one. We're all one. We're all one. That's what the Passover is all about. Gather together, remember when, and they tell all their stories. Instead, it's become a time of, of distaste. It's become a time where people are concerned. How am I going to have enough money to pay for the stuff? How am I going to be able to do this? time where people are literally going into debt in order to do what God desires for them to do. They're forced to come to the temple for the Passover and pay the price of making the rich and powerful more rich and powerful. That's what's happening here. Instead of a place for the Gentiles to hear the prayers of God's people, to recognize who he is and what he is. The courts for the Gentiles has instead become a place where they're selling everything. It's not supposed to happen in here. If you need to sell things, it needs to happen outside the temple, not inside the temple. A place that's going to make sure that it's a little more even-steven. It's more of a capitalistic structure because, you see, these profiteers weren't let in the temple until they got their take. The priests got their take. Begin to see what's going on here. This is like Angel Stadium. Quadrupled. Hot dogs are 50 bucks. You know, they're a dollar outside, but they're $50 in here. What's going on? I mean, we all go in there and go, I can't believe I'm having to pay this much money to get a hot dog. It's killing me. And if I got four kids, it really is killing you, right? Going, oh my goodness. But that's what's happening here. And Jesus is so frustrated. He's also recognizing that predominantly these people in the Gentile courts are going to be the people who are going to respond to him. He knows what's going to go on three years later. He recognizes what John knows now, that the predominant amount of people who have become Christians are not Jews, but Gentiles. How frustrating that has to be to God, to Jesus. It was so difficult. He focuses his ministry upon the Jewish people and they refuse to follow who he is. See, the intention of the temple courts were to be initiation for the Gentiles and for each group of people who were inquiring about who God is and what he is doing. And Jesus is responding to the priests handling things incorrectly. they let things become what they never should have allowed it to become. Now, before we get down that too much, I see church buildings doing somewhat the same thing at times. And so I hear people say this. I love Jesus, but I hate the yeah, the organized church. You know, we always have that joke. Well, we're pretty disorganized. You can come here. <laughs> uh, but it misses their point. The point is the church has become a place of profit, not a place of prayer. And then when I come, it's like, give me your money. And that's all we hear. And God is saying, that's not how it's supposed to be. That is not what's supposed to be taking place. It's supposed to be a place of safety. It's supposed to be a place of security. It's supposed to be a place, a haven, for people to come in and sit and listen and learn about who God is and how he can work in their lives. A place of hope for the hopeless. who are going, I can't handle it anymore. My life is a mess. Is there any hope? And the church building is supposed to be the place where the church people are present and interacting with them. So it kills me when someone says, well, I came to your church. It was good, but I felt kind of like I wasn't accepted there. I wasn't quite good enough. And my ears pop up. What did you say? What? Well, I just I wasn't sure about it. I said, that's not true, Right. Right? Yeah, we're not here for that. And I say that to you to say, look around you. Some people, you say, well, you know, they're not quite up to my standards. <laughs> really? Interesting. Interesting. Better be careful. That's the warning Jesus is giving. He gives a warning to those in the temple. He chased them all out and he says, this place is my God, my father's house. First time I used the term father, by the way. This is my father's house. And you've turned into a place of profit. What do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? And in God's place here's the church is the same thing that's happened in our society. We begin to find ourselves. We're, we're yelling at Eric. I was talking the other day. And he said, we need to be, make sure people don't get confused thinking that the building is the church. Well, the building isn't the church, but it's the place where the church comes. It's a place the church owns. It's a place the church reflects who he is. And that's understandable and acceptable. So we better grasp that truth and start acting as if it is God's place. Often, Oftentimes, guys come to me and say, Pastor, can can I borrow the chairs of the church? I, it's your chairs. It's your table. It's your house. I'm just in charge of watching over it, that's God's given to me. But it's all your stuff. This is yours. We handle it in that way. We respond in that way. The church must reflect a place of prayer, a place of providence, a place where God is present and powerful and moving and changing us. And that's God's expectation. And after Jesus does all this stuff and chases everybody out. They say, what authority do you have to do this? Now, interesting enough, they all get chased out, which is interesting in and of itself, it's just Jesus. Come on, just one guy. You've got thousands of people in here. They're all running out. What's going on? And the priest come to him and said, what authority do you have to do this? Show us a sign. There's already a recognition of Jesus as something special that he has an authority that's beyond that of anybody else they've ever experienced. They're really saying this, are you the Messiah? And Jesus answers, he says, yes. They just didn't know it. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. That's the sign of the fact that he is the Messiah. That he would be three days in the grave and then raised up from the dead, declaring himself as God's one and only son, chosen to become the sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. And that's what he's just and they don't have a clue what he's talking about. But this temple took 46 years to build. Don't you understand? Well, actually, not only does he understand a little later in his final entrance into Jerusalem, just prior to it in Luke 21, you would find out that he speaks to the disciples and he says, this temple is going to be destroyed rock by rock, completely demolished here. And when that happens, you guys need to head for the mountains Get out of here because it's going to be horrible. It's going to be horrendous. What will take place when this happens here? Because although it did take 46 years, in fact, it's going to take a few years more. It will be three more years before they finish the temple. They will finish it in 64 AD, just before the temple curtain is ripped in two, by Jesus when he dies. And then... Six years later, the Roman general Titus will come in and he will completely destroy the temple brick by brick by brick. And he doesn't even intend to. This is what's interesting if you read the stories, He doesn't even want that to happen. But the men have become so overwhelmed in this rioting process and this killing that he can't stop them. He was unable to stop them until they completely tear apart. The temple had become so angry at the Jews who were trying to defend the temple. Josephus says this, one million people were killed during the siege, of which a majority were all Jewish. 97,000 were captured. He says the slaughter within was even more dreadful than the spectacle from without. Men and women, old and young, insurgents, And priests, those who fought and those who cried out for mercy, were killed in indiscriminate carnage. The number of the slain exceeded that of the slayers. The legionaries had to climb over heaps of the dead to carry on the work of extermination. And so you begin to understand what Jesus says early when he says and reminds them. At the end of this time, after my ministry, there's going to be this incredible, terrible Gentiles coming in. They're going to destroy the temple. And when that happens, run for the mountains. Get out of here. Because if you're still there, you're going to be killed. And John is remembering this some 20 years after it's been done. And he's reflecting back on who Jesus is and what he has done. And he says the marvelous thing is that Jesus died for our sins and then he rose again. And he said it in the beginning and he showed it in the end. Marvelous, marvelous picture. A wonder and a warning. God desires to turn our water into wine. And that's his calling for us, uh, even today. John ends his teaching with that last comment. Think of it again. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. Wow! Today we're going to share in this special time where we recognize what Jesus has done for us. ask for a couple of our elders to come up. I think I emailed you guys. Just come up here. So, I want you to take one side, one take the other, and one go in the back. And we're going to share in this wonderful, wonderful time of remembering who Jesus was and what he has done. So, what we're going to do right now is we're all going to stand. Everybody stand. And you can go left or right, or you can go to the back. And then just simply get a bit of juice and a bit of bread.